นโมทัสสะภะวะโตอะระหะโตสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะนโมทัสสะภะวะโตอะระหะโตสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะนโมทัสสะภะวะโตอะระหะโตสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะพุทธังธรรมังสังฆังนามัสังThe question is often asked, and it was uh, very recently, yesterday, asked by somebody: How can we live with people who don't share our values without compromising? This is uh, this is uh, somebody out there working and. The normal lay world situation and struggling with some of their colleagues and the the interaction and the uh, conversations that take place and and regularly the feeling of being pulled into compromise and ending up doing things that or saying things. That I feel good about. So it's a very reasonable question: How do we stay true to our spiritual commitments? How do we not betray ourselves by compromising? This is not a new question. This is not just something for people who live in. 21st century uh, Britain. Um, I was recently contemplating a a text from the Dhammapada, the verse 198, which is uh, given by the Buddha on an occasion when there was a shortage of water, and some of his relatives on both sides of this river, the River Rohini. And he had relatives living on this side and relatives living on that side, and the rains had failed, and so they were arguing about water rights, and caught up in uh, accusations and uh, making aggressive gestures to each other, and the farmers were reporting the predicament of the situation to the merchants, and the merchants were reporting to the The ministers, and so then they got to the point where the ministers on both sides were getting ready for war over water rights. So the Buddha, having been made aware of this, uh, uh, took it upon himself to uh, offer a teaching, both by way of what he said, also by way of his psychic powers, but. Uh, Particularly contemplating what he had to say on this occasion, which was that whilst in the midst of those who are troubled, to dwell free from feeling troubled is happiness indeed. In other words, how to stay our own person, whilst in the midst of those who are troubled, to dwell free from feeling troubled is happiness indeed. How to not get caught up in 
and views and opinions of those around us. In this case, it was approaching war over water rights, but there are many situations that we all find ourselves in, there's arguing about religion or politics or environmental issues, or we can easily get pulled into other people's dramas. Now, of course, we all respect empathy and appreciate the place of empathy, but it would be a mistake to assume that empathy meant that we had to merge with other people's moods. It would be a mistake to think that because we're sensitive to somebody else's suffering that we have to get caught up in their suffering. In this verse, the Buddha is pointing out that the way to happiness is to not get caught up, to keep a cool head, keep an open heart, don't be insensitive and cold-hearted. That's 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 definitely not being advocated. Being sensitive and aware and alert and informed but having the ability to not be pulled into other people's Mm. moods and being our own person. This also came up this morning when uh, on Sunday mornings after the uh, breakfast in the community we have a reading from the collected teachings of Ajahn Chah And this morning, the chapter we were reading, I think it was called On Being Careful, where Ajahn Chah was pointing out that all the the spiritual disciplines that we take on, keeping precepts, cultivating generosity, reflecting on gratitude, developing tranquility, cultivating insight, cultivating renunciation all the spiritual disciplines we take on are for the purpose of wisdom and he pointed out that it's wisdom that liberates us it's wisdom that sets us free and when you're free then as the talk as in Charles given us when you're free then you don't suffer and you you got a family and children you're not going to suffer you're working uh, you're not going to suffer. Not working, you're not going to suffer. Healthy, you're not going to suffer. Unhealthy, you're not going to suffer. Uh, because of wisdom. Mm. So, setting this up, contemplating these guidelines from the Buddha and from the great teachers, and bringing this contemplation to bear on the predicament of how to not betray ourselves, how, not, how to not compromise our spiritual values and be pulled into uh, the dramas of other people around us. How do we do it? Well, it's training, that's it. It's the training, or the Pali word is pawana, uh, or cultivation. It's something to do. As we all know, as followers of the Buddha's teaching, this is not just something to believe in, not just something to understand. 
that's something to do. And so what we do is the training. And the goal of the training is the wisdom. The wisdom that sets us free. So that whatever's happening in life, whether it's agreeable or disagreeable, we're not going to suffer over it. So in the workplace with with people that we perhaps don't share the same views and opinions. And, uh, yeah. We don't want to get pulled into gossip or uh, bullying, uh, yeah. unwholesome activities of body and mind. Yeah. How do we protect ourselves? Well, we hone in on this wisdom. Yeah. The Buddha gave us the wisdom teachings. Uh, the heartwood, the core, the essence of the Buddha's teachings is not just about being good, although goodness helps. It's not just about being happy, although happiness helps. You know, goodness and happiness are all very welcome, but these are the means, they're not the goal. Goodness and happiness, self-respect, you know, all of these qualities support the realization of clear seeing. Yeah. Where the Buddha talked about wisdom, clear seeing, samaditi in Pali, seeing the way it is, seeing what's in front of us clearly. Yeah. In the hearing, there is just the hearing. For a wise being, for a liberated being, yeah. A free being, and the hearing is just the hearing. It's just so. It's not, oh, I like it, I don't like it. There's the just hearing. For us, it's not just hearing. There's, do I agree, do I disagree? Or we're already listening to ourselves, we're not listening to the other person anymore. It's not hearing, and there's just hearing. Or in the seeing, there's just seeing. In the tasting, there's just tasting. In the touching, there's just touching. In the cognizing, there's just cognizing. So the way of a realized being, as the Buddha was explaining it, there's nothing extra. There's, life is just so. And so whatever situation they find themselves in, they're not adding anything to it and not taking anything away from it. And so the human heart can respond with wisdom and the other side of wisdom is compassion, is a sensitivity. So our training, if it's right training, is oriented towards this, towards this wisdom, towards this way of being. And just contemplating it already, uh, personally, when I, when I reflect on these things, I find it, it just gives me faith and confidence, energy. The chaos is, is sometimes so intense. If you spend a lot of time looking at the world, you can easily feel disturbed by what you see. And what do we have faith in? What do we have trust in? What do we have confidence in? As Buddhists, as I go for refuge to the Buddha, I have confidence, the possibility, the realization of wisdom and compassion. So this is what our training is oriented towards. Our day-to-day -to -day training is oriented towards this. So really making that clear, you know, really getting a feeling associated with that. It's not just an idea, an initial impulse that we get after reading our Buddhist books. 
but rather in our heart of hearts, getting, yeah, I want this. This is, this is what matters to me. Being clear about that. And that helps us feed energy into our spiritual disciplines. Yeah. The cultivation of integrity. Yeah. The classic presentation of the Buddha's teaching, the sila samadhi bhavana. Integrity, stability, and understanding. Wisdom. Discernment, wise reflection. A sila is a, a commitment to sila is a commitment to integrity. And and when we so when we're contemplating our precepts, whether it's the precepts about right speech or the precepts about right action or the precepts around right livelihood, the three different aspects of of uh, cultivation of integrity. Yeah we see it's oriented towards wisdom. We're not just keeping rules because that's what good people do. We're not just keeping rules because that's what Buddhists do. Often people ask, can I have a little drink of alcohol or can I tell a white lie or or whatever. How we want to manipulate the forms of the training, that's one thing. But the spirit has to go along with the form. You know, the precepts that we have, the Buddha's precepts on on right speech or wholesome speech, appropriate speech. You, know, you can read what the Buddha said about keeping the precepts on speech and cultivating right speech and not gossiping, not lying, not backbiting, not being divisive. And that's the form, but the spirit is the awareness that we bring to our speech. It's important that first we study the form. If we just bring our own views and opinions to the cultivation of integrity, we might end up paying attention to the wrong thing. What the Buddha, in his distillation of his understanding, when he distilled his understanding down to the essence, he came up with the five precepts or the ten right actions and of those ten right actions four to do with right speech so we can read about these and it's important we do read about them and become familiar with them commit them to memory but then it's the awareness that we bring to the form that's the other side of it Or you can see what the Buddha said about how to offer admonition, using our speech to point something out to somebody that they perhaps don't want to hear. According to our views and opinions, we might think that, well, I've just got to be honest. I've just got to be honest. So if I'm honest, I'm going to tell you that I don't like your face or I don't like the way you do the way. That's just my honest feeling. And uh, sometimes... uh, it might feel like that. Well, the right thing to do is just be honest and to tell you that I don't like you. But there, there's much more to right speech from the Buddhist perspective. And he said, first you want to check to see you're using the right words, the right time, the right place, and the right motivation. You might have 
you know, a good idea. It might be that this person needs some direct feedback, but are you using the right words, like words that that are going to be received? So if, for instance, we use accusative words, you always do this and you said that, and you said that well, maybe they won't hear it. Maybe we could use a different set of words. Yeah. Right words, right time, you know, right place. Choosing to say something difficult to somebody in front of their colleagues or, or when the person is already feeling rejected and miserable, that's unskillful, that's unhelpful. So all of these factors matter. Right motivation. Yeah. I mean, you, perhaps you're passing on, for instance, you're using speech to pass on something you've heard. You've heard some information and you're about to pass it on. And you say, well, it's honest, so I'll just say it. And you say, well, the Buddha wanted us to go to another level and check our motivation. I, am I saying this because I just want to get it off my chest or because... I like to show that I've got information about somebody, or am I saying it for their benefit? Am I saying it for everybody's benefit? Where am I coming from? Am I coming from just my head? A lot of us live up in our heads and we've got all sorts of good ideas, but maybe if we come down to our bodies, our intuition might give us some more information. And one way of uh, learning to speak skillfully is to stop and think, well, what does is, what is all of me feel about what I'm about to say? What is all of me? Like, what does my foot feel about what I'm going to say? Now, it might sound a bit foolish, but if we can bring our awareness, bring our attention into the whole body, you know, we broaden our perspective on what we're about to say how we feel about it, and we get more information. So the cultivation of integrity, this is part of the work we do for the sake of realising wisdom, cultivating uh, right speech, suitable speech, uh, direct speech, responsible speech, right action, wholesome action, appropriate action. Similarly, you know, Buddha gave us a lot of guidelines on, it's called harmless action, but that doesn't mean to say that it's insignificant harmless. It means that it doesn't cause harm. And what we do by way of speech, what we do by way of our body, matters, makes a difference. And so the cultivation of integrity, we learn the form, learn what the Buddha and the great teachers have pointed out to us and then we bring awareness and as we go along perhaps we'll discover that that this abiding in awareness rather than in strategies is something we can depend upon so say we find ourselves in a in a situation a work situation where we really don't want to be where somebody is saying something particularly unkind or acting in a bullying way. And, and if our habit is to default to strategies, to just to forms, to techniques, what can I do in this situation? Yeah. Well, in the beginning, that might be what we have to do. 
But after a while, if we've learnt the form, if we've internalised the forms, and that's why it's so important to be consistent with our spiritual disciplines, not just to do it for, for seven days, ten days, and then fall back into our old habits, but to be consistent in our commitment to the spiritual disciplines, in our training, and the idea being that eventually we internalise the principles behind these disciplines. And once those principles have been internalised, then we just open up the situation and be aware. Bring awareness to the situation we're in. Feel what it feels like to be in the situation. There's some unkindness is happening or something inappropriate is going on, something dishonest is being said. And trust in our whole body, mind, here and now, judgment-free awareness. If we put the effort beforehand into training, here and now, whole body, mind, judgment-free awareness, and then we bring this well-developed awareness to the situation and see what wants to be said, feel what wants to be said, and trust in that. So it's not just strategies, it's not just rules that we have to keep. Yes, in the beginning, like with playing scales, learning to play a musical instrument, or learning to use a particular piece of of equipment, you've got to learn how to hold the thing first. Learning how to play a violin, you've got to learn how to hold your wrist, the right angle, the right amount of tension, Too rigid doesn't work. Too loose doesn't work. First we need to learn how to hold rightly the forms before we can make music. So similarly with the trainings that we we hold to, we engage with. And, and trusting, and it's bringing awareness to the situation and with, with the commitment to cultivation of integrity comes self-respect. The other aspect of the Buddha's teachings on sila, you know, in the Eightfold Path, you know, the middle section is to do with this cultivation of sila, you know, samma waja, samma kamata, samma ajiva, right speech, right action, and the third one, right livelihood. Yeah. Are we basically meeting life in a truly responsible way that gives us a sense of self-respect? In talking about micha ajiva, or wrong livelihood, the Buddha pointed out, selling armaments, selling slaves, selling animals for slaughter, selling intoxicants, poisons. All things, that plenty of it going on around us. The Buddha was very explicit in identifying, engaging in making a livelihood by these means, uh, has an unfortunate, will have an unfortunate consequence. Mm. So right livelihood or samma ajiva is engaging in a lifestyle that's free from blame, making a living in a way that when we ask ourselves, at the end of my life when I'm dying, do I want to remember this? What is my contri- contribution to the world? I'm taking from the world. What am I giving back? bringing awareness to our interaction with the world we live in. Is it truly responsible? So with this right speech, right action, right livelihood, or cultivation of integrity, 
here comes self-respect. And with self-respect comes ease. And this self-respect and this ease conduces to going deeper in the spiritual disciplines. Cultivation of samadhi, the training with samadhi, or strengthening the mind. The mind is strengthened, not like we strengthen the body with lifting weights and doing exercise. As Ajahn Shah pointed out, the mind is, the heart is strengthened through stillness, refreshed through tranquility. So the strength, the tranquility, the calm of, of the mind, of the heart, it got, it's not something that is necessarily going to just happen. Like with our cultivation of integrity, it's not necessarily going to just happen. In fact, quite the opposite can just happen. If we're not careful, our actions of speech and body and, and uh, livelihood can all be defined by the company of those who are uh, heedless or committed to living in ways that we don't respect. So the work to do, the, the effort that we make in integrity and the effort we make in the cultivation of the strength of mind or samadhi, something we want to consider carefully, wisely and skillfully. If we don't do this work, well then it is the case, surely, that we will end up feeling not adequate to meet the challenge. You know, the chaos of life, the difficulties, the frustrations, the intensely regrettable predicaments we get ourselves into because of heedlessness, you know, we don't have what it takes to deal with them. And maybe even it's not the case that we're doing anything uh, in this life that's particularly unwholesome or unskillful, but we've got the karma that we brought with us. Sometimes the fruits of past karma ripen, and if we're not prepared, then we can just create more unskillful karma. And so many instances in the Buddha's teachings of not just for the average unawakened human being, but even awakened human beings, their bodies still suffer as a result of the unskillful karma that they made in the past. The heart doesn't suffer, the mind doesn't suffer, but the body does still suffer. So for the realized beings, they don't suffer whatever's going on, however agreeable or disagreeable the circumstance, they don't suffer. But for unawakened, unenlightened human beings, we do still suffer. But just because we suffer, that doesn't mean to say it's an indictment against us. Actually... Yeah, the Buddha's whole religion is all around suffering. Yeah. Four noble truths. And that's, that's why the Buddha created this, this dispensation. Yeah. The, the Buddha's dispensation of all the Buddha's teachings are around just this. He said, I teach two things. I teach suffering and the cessation of suffering. And you stay stuck in this unfortunate affair because of not seeing two things. Not seeing suffering, not seeing the cause of suffering. Yeah, that's, a, that's a pretty rare and amazing thing. The, the whole, from the time of enlightenment, from the time he was started teaching to the time he passed away, the Buddha was continually teaching about how to recognize suffering, how to be free from suffering. So when we're suffering, we don't want to think that's some sort of a, 
an indictment, like, you know, we failed. It's easy to do that if we're not being our own person, if we're not honouring our own commitments to life, you know, if we're defined by the, the stories of the casual culture that we're surrounded by. If we let that define us, then we can end up seeing our suffering as some sort of a failure. But from the perspective of the wise beings, actually, that's just that's just our that's our textbook. That's that's the manual. You know, the suffering is where we learn. So, you know, so when, if you want a barometer for practice, you know, how well are you doing your practice? How well is cultivation on the way going? You ask yourself, are you getting quicker when you suffer? And bringing your hands together in Anjali and saying, welcome, suffering, welcome. Teach me what I need to learn. Even if we don't really mean it, because our avoidance, our habits of resistance are so strong as they are, and we start off, even if we don't mean it, we can still go through the form, out of faith, out of confidence. As I've often said before, it's it's like learning Tai Chi. Teacher shows you what to do and the beautiful flowing movements. And then you try to do it and you just look goofy. But we try, we learn, we lower the knees and settle into the belly and slowly start to make the movements out of faith, out of confidence that the training is worthwhile. So likewise, the training in integrity, the training in samadhi and strength of heart and mind is worthwhile. We can afford to have trust in it. So even when we do find that we've forgotten and lost ourselves and got caught up and we start to suffer, how long does it take to bring our hands together in Anjali and say, welcome, suffering, teach me what I need to learn? And then the training in Pali called Pawana, or the cultivation, the direct cultivation, the direct investigation of consciousness, the nature of reality. Building strength of sila, building strength of samadhi. That's, that's, That's managing our health, our spiritual health. Yeah. Working out you know, the, the, the forms to do with sila, the forms to do with samadhi, and then we bring the, the spirit of our awareness, the spirit of our attention, and invest in these forms. You know. And similarly with investigation you know, of reality. If we have adequate strength, adequate health, then. The next step is to embrace the frustrations of life and ask the really important questions. What is this all about? What is this all about? We all find ourselves born and we have, have some good times, we have some bad times and and then we die. Is that it? Uh, certainly, the, uh, if we're not careful, the bad times can increase. And as we get older and 
and really old and then we have a really bad time called dying. And that doesn't sound like very good news. Is that all there is to it? Well, this is the same question that the Buddha had, like the greatest human being that ever lived. He had just the same question when he was 29. And the veils of delusion uh, started to fall away and he started to see what was in front of him. Old age, sickness and death, frustration, disappointment, despair. Wow, is is this all I've got ahead of me? And then you die. So the great question, the precious question that that is the other side of faith, sent the Buddha out on his his search for liberation. What really matters? What is this all about? Do we just tolerate the bad times and hope there's going to be some more good times and hope they don't pass too quickly? Or is there another perspective on all of this well fortunately the Buddha realized the other great perspective on this which he called the middle way the position that's no position the position that's inherently free and able to fully accommodate all reality all dimensions the perspective otherwise known as right view free from greed, free from aversion, free from delusion. So the Buddha's realization of this clear seeing or this right view uh, is what? Freedom from all suffering. But he didn't get there by having a picnic or, or going to concerts. He got there by asking life's deepest, most difficult questions. Yeah. What really matters? What's really important? So the preparation in our spiritual life checking to see that we have the spiritual health that comes with self-respect and keeping impeccable precepts really a commitment to the skillful speech to skillful action skillful livelihood to exercising our attention so that we are able to bring the heart and mind to sufficient strength and clarity because if the the mind is not strong enough if we're always dissipating our energy by distraction our addiction to distraction dissipates all our energy if if we allow that to happen well then even when we're confronted with the really tricky questions we don't have the clarity we don't have the, the breadth of heart we don't have the strength of mind to be able to embrace the complexity of life and look into it we don't maybe have the trust or the confidence that well disciplined awareness here and now whole body mind judgment free awareness has within it the potential for taking us to realisation we don't have that trust we don't have that confidence if we haven't built it so the work we do determines whether or not we have that trust have that confidence but it's not like we have to wait a whole lifetime until we start to get an inkling of it as soon as we start practicing can find that keeping precepts makes a difference mind is not so full of regret or remorse 
learning to sit still and gather the heart and mind and focus attention, not in a narrow, constricted way, but in a sensitive, skillful manner, disciplining attention so we can hold our, our attention still, potentizes it, strengthens it. And we can realize that for ourselves. And with that, perhaps we come to see that, that we can embrace life's difficulties. And we don't have to run away from them. We don't have to look up an answer. We don't have to ask somebody who tells us that they've got the answer. We can consider for ourselves. You know, wise reflection is a skill that the Buddha wanted us to develop. You know, in the conversation that he had with his son, Rahula. And he asked Rahula, what is, what is the point of a mirror, Rahula? And Rahula said, well, Lord, the point of a mirror is for seeing your face in. And so then the Buddha replied, so it is that wise reflection is for seeing the mind, is for understanding the heart, is for seeing clearly. So if we even have an inkling of the possibility of this, then the predicaments we find ourselves in, where we feel challenged and likely to compromise our own principles and get pulled into other people's dramas, hopefully will diminish and we'll find we've got a new source of strength and ability. So thank you very much this evening for your attention. <laughs>